You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you are not an authorised financial advisor, you may find the content of this podcast difficult to follow as it assumes you have the necessary training and qualifications to understand the concepts discussed. You should also be aware the information contained in this podcast is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Most advisors are familiar with the fact that a client's principal home is generally an exempt asset for social security purposes. However, what happens when a client starts to use their principal home for income producing purposes, such as when renting out a room or a self-contained living area attached to their home, or even other residents that's on the same title as their home? I'm Craig Day, head of the First Tech team, and here to talk to me about the Centrelink assessment of a client's principal home is Kim Guest, one of my senior managers. G'day, Kim. Hi, Craig. How are you? Good, good. Excellent. Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Here to talk about principal residences. So as I mentioned in the intro, most of us are quite familiar with the fact that you know, how Centrelink assess a client's principal home eye that's generally an exempt asset, right? So can you give us a quick recap before we delve into what happens when people start renting out rooms and things like that? Sure. Well, the the general rules are pretty straightforward. You know, the client is considered a homeowner for asset test purposes. If they or their partner has a right or interest in the place that they occupy, and that right or interest gives them security of tenure, which basically means they've got the right to stay in that property. And if they're considered to be a homeowner, then in most cases, that home is an exempt asset, including, you know, the adjacent land around the home up to two hectares. Um, And regardless of its value, that would be an exempt asset under the assets test. There are some other tricky rules which can exempt even more than two hectares, you know, generally for rural clients under the extended land use test, but we're not talking about that today. And there's some specific conditions that have to be met to get that exemption. Okay. So... That's the basic rules, but as I kind of alluded in the intro, um, that's not always the case if the client starts to use their home for income-producing purposes, but uh, in this case, it might be renting out a room or something like that. So can you outline the three scenarios that we're going to be looking at? Yeah, sure. So we get a lot of questions in First Tech of the hundreds of different ways that people can do interesting things with their principal home. But um, the three common scenarios that we're going to have a look at today is number one, renting out some rooms in your principal home. Number two, renting out a self-contained living area that's attached to your principal home. Or number three, um, actually constructing a separate house on the same title as your principal home and renting that out. So we're going to go through those three scenarios, but before we begin, um, you might be thinking, oh, these rules are a bit complicated, um, which they are. Uh, So we do have a nice article with a table at the back that summarises all the rules um, that's available on the First Tech site. So if you have trouble remembering all of this, just um, refer back to that article. And that's a great point because so often, you know, these rules can be quite complicated because of the various and myriad of ways that people want to kind of do these things. So an article will always come in handy there. Um, Or you can just give us a call and we'll help you out. So, okay, so let's start off with the first scenario. How does Centrelink assess a client that rents out a room in their home? 
Yeah, sure. So this is a fairly common one. You know, the client rents out a room or a few rooms in their principal home. And in that case, um, Centrelink assess it under what's called the borders and lodges provisions. And under these rules, they say, okay, well, we're only going to assess a percentage of the rental income that the client receives from renting out the rooms in their assessable income. And that percentage is going to depend on whether the client actually provides meals or not to that person who's renting the room. Um, and we'll talk more about how that works, but importantly, um, where they're just renting out some rooms in their house, under the assets test, it doesn't impact them. So Centrelink will say that's still the client's principal home, it's still asset test exempt, um, we're not going to assess it, we're just going to assess perhaps a little bit of the rental income under the income test. No, well, th that's good news. So they might have accessible income, but it's not as if their home all of a sudden is going to be an accessible asset. So in this case, with the rental income, how's that going to be assessed under that? What did you say, the borders and lodges provisions? Yes, the borders and lodges provisions. Well, the first thing to note is that when they're they're looking at the assessment, they do give this exemption for near relatives. So if they're renting it out, if they're renting out a room in their house to a near relative, then that rental income is completely exempt. It's not accessible. Okay, so... Obviously. <laughs> Who, who's a near relative? I'm glad you asked. Well, a person is a near relative if they are the person's parent, and that includes step-parents, foster parents or adoptive parents, child, and that includes stepchildren, foster children or adoptive children, or sibling, and that includes stepbrothers, stepsisters, foster brothers, foster sisters, adoptive brothers and adoptive sisters. So basically parents, children, siblings, they are near relatives, and if you rent it out to a near relative, rental income is not accessible. Right. So all of those parents with kids that seem to want to refuse to move out and rent their own house, <laughs> but that's not going to blow up whatever Centrelink entitlement that uh, that the parent potentially has, even if they're charging board to their lazy-ass kids that won't get out and find their own home. Exactly. Right. Yep. Okay. <laughs> now... Okay, well, that's all good news, but what if they do rent out a room to someone who's not a near relative? Yeah, well, in that case, um, some of the income is going to be included in their accessible income for selling purposes. However, they only include a percentage of that income, and that percentage depends on whether they're providing meals or not. Um, and the reason for that is Centrelink recognises that, you know, if they're providing meals, that obviously costs money, and so it's not fair to assess all of the income they're getting under the income test. So, so they reduce down the amount they assess depending on, you know, how much they're, they're sort of spending on the meals. Um, and they've just got these kind of basic percentages that apply. So if they're, for example, providing bed and breakfast, then they only assess 50% of the um, income in their accessible income. Mm -hmm. um, if they're providing even more meals, like lunch and dinner, then only 20% of the income will be included in their accessible income. But if they're not providing any meals at all, um, then generally 70% of the income is included in their accessible income. And it should be noted, though, that like these percentages apply, but if they can approve so prove that they've spent even more than that on expenses. So they've got some, you know, receipts from um, things that they've had to pay for for that person that exceeds um, those amounts that they've been allowed for expenses. Then um, Centrelink can actually reduce an even lower percentage. So assess an even lower percentage, and they can also um, reduce the amount that's assessed by 
the value of the interest that's payable on the mortgage against the home if that client has a mortgage against their home. So, um, you know, it can be quite a low amount that can be assessed. Okay, so what you're saying there is let's just assume you've got a situation where there's no meals being provided. Um, so they're assessing yeah. 70%. And that's just a flat, you don't need to, that's just taking into account the, the cost of actually providing the house or the room. Um, mm. And so therefore, like anything, there's a cost to gain or produce income. So therefore, they build that cost in and say, all right, we're going to assume that, let's say it's a $100 rent or board that you're getting, then we're only going to assess mm-hmm. $70 of it because we think you've got $30 in costs there. Um, so yep. it's the net of those two. Okay, so that's good. Um, all right, and then if you go and provide meals, then obviously the cost of the food, et cetera. But also I suppose there at the end of the day, if if your expenses are greater than that $30 that they've allocated, that's when you mm. can actually go and prove it with the mortgage expenses, et cetera. Is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. Yeah, that's right, yep. All right, so to sum that all up in my head, if a client rents out a room in their home, a percentage of the income may be assessable if they rent it to someone that's not a near relative, but under the assets test, it's still treated as their home, so therefore not treated as an assessable asset. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. All right, so now let's move on to the second scenario where a client is renting out a self-contained living area that is attached to their home. So how does Centrelink assess that if it's going to, if someone's going to rent it out? Yeah, well, it gets a little bit more complicated now. Um, it can actually come as a bit of an unpleasant surprise that if a client has a self-contained living area attached to their home, in some circumstances, um, when they rent that out, it can cause it to be considered not to be part of their principal home anymore. And so, therefore, the value of that self-contained living area can actually be included as an assessable asset and any rental income can be included under the income test. Yeah, that Mm. I can imagine that would be quite an unpleasant surprise. So, what does Centrelink consider to be a self-contained living area as opposed to just renting out a room? Yeah, so Centrelink define a self-contained living area as an area that contains private or separate sleeping, cooking and bathroom facilities. So an example would be like a little self-contained flat that's attached to the home that's got its own bedrooms, kitchen, bathroom, might be just a little kitchenette or whatever, but it's got those separate facilities, then um, it comes under the definition of a self-contained living area. Okay, so if it's considered self-contained living area... In what circumstance is it included as an assessable asset? Yeah, well, the key to um, the assessment is whether it's rented out to a near relative or not. So the basic rule is that if it's vacant or it's rented out to a near relative, then they consider it to still be part of the client's principal home. And so therefore, it's asset test exempt and any rental income is not assessable. So you still have that concession there where it's a near relative that you're renting it out to, similar to the borders and lodges provision. So the same definition? But Yeah, same definition of near relative, yeah. But if you rent it out to somebody who is not a near relative, then it's not considered to be part of the client's principal home anymore. And therefore, the value of that self-contained area is included in their assessable assets. Um, In addition, you know, if you're renting it out to someone who's not a near relative and you're getting some rental income, then that rental income is included under the income test. So in terms of assessing under the assets test, how how do you value that? 
Yeah, that's a good question <laughs> that I've asked Centrelink about a few times. And they, they said that they ask the client, first of all, for what they consider is the market value of the self-contained living area and that's the amount that they'll assess. But if they they think that that's not an accurate reflection of what the value of that living area is, then they can ask for further information to determine evaluation. Right. So you tell me what you think it's worth. And if we think that's a bit low or it sounds a bit dodgy, mm. we're, we're going to ask for we're further. We're going to get it valued. Yeah, okay. yeah. All right. So that actually sounds, it could actually have quite a big impact on a client's centering. Um, How do they assess the rental income? Yeah, well, in this case, it's different to the borders and lodges provisions that we talked about previously. It's not, it doesn't come under that. It comes under the rules where, you know, if somebody had a rental property and they rented it out, how do they assess the rental income? It comes under those rules. So, um, it's very similar to the way that the tax department assesses rental income. You know, you have your gross rental income and then you have some allowable deductions that reduce that that rental income. So Centrelink will recognise a lot of the same deductions the tax office does, such as agents' fees, repairs, mortgage interest, land and water rates. However, there are some deductions that tax office recognises but Centrelink do not recognise, such as capital depreciation, special building write-off, construction costs and borrowing costs like loan establishment fees. So um, it's it's really that rental income, like from a rental property kind of assessment that they use. Um, and they ask for the client's tax return or tax notice of assessment. Um, but if that's not available, because maybe they've just started renting it out mm-hmm. and it's not reflected in their tax return, um, then what they'll do is they'll think, they'll just estimate, okay, probably a third of that rental income is for expenses. So we'll just assess two thirds of it as assessable income until, you know, the client might have a tax return that reflects that and then they can they can show Centrelink that tax return. Another thing to note though is if they do have a mortgage against that house, they'll also allow the mortgage interest to be deductible in addition to that one-third um, reduction. Okay, so obviously if, if I've got a self-contained living area and I decide to rent that out, I've to obviously to someone that's not a near relative, so I put an ad in the newspaper mm. or, or I've, maybe I've got a friend that, you know, maybe mm. they've been kicked out of their rental accommodation or they've sold a property and they can't find something and they go, oh, I've got this granny flat out the back or not so much granny flat but because um, I think we're going to talk well, about that in a moment. Well, that, I'm glad you said that granny flats are a separate yeah, thing. If it comes thing. under the granny flat rules, then that that's a... A whole separate yeah, yeah, yeah. podcast. So, yeah, so, <laughs> At the moment, we're not talking about the granny flat provision. So what yeah. what I'm really meaning there is, let's say I've got um, I've got a, a separate apartment. Um, yeah, on the second, a, yeah, a little a little yeah. separate area, right? So I said, hey, mm-hmm. come and rent this. Mm-hmm. But all of a sudden, and maybe if I'm doing my friend a favour, so I'm not charging very much rent at all. I'm having mm-hmm. that part of my home now assessed as an assessable asset and they're looking at the income or the net amount of income and they're assessing that. So it could well be that I get a reduction in my Centrelink entitlement, whatever that is, maybe it's age pension or something else, um, yep. of more than the rent, the rent that I'm charging yeah. and I actually yep. end up in a negative position. So I want to be very, very careful about that. 
That's right. And not to mention the tax implications as well, which we're, we're concentrating on Centrelink here, but of course there can be tax implications. And so people could um, might well want to discuss with their accountant before they go down yeah. that track as well as to exactly what's involved. Yeah, assuming you, I suppose assuming you've got an accountant. Um, all right. <laughs> all fantastic points. So let's move on to the third scenario, which is renting out a separate dwelling on the same title as the principal home. So how does Centrelink look at that particular scenario? Yeah, well, where a client rents out a separate dwelling on the same title as their principal home, it's assessed under what Centrelink called the dual occupancy rules. So under these rules, um, similar to the self-contained dwelling that we just talked about before, um, it can be that that separate dwelling can become an accessible asset under some circumstances and rental income can be also be accessible under the income test. So um, it, it is really important to, to look at these rules before client goes down that path. Um, but they are a slightly more complicated than the self-contained dwelling rules. This, this dual occupancy rules, um, which is a completely separate house that's constructed on the same land, um, they have two different factors which determine how Centrelink will assess it. The first is one we're familiar with, it's whether it's rented out to a near relative or not. Uh, but the second one is who paid for the construction costs of that second dwelling. Okay, so... Dual occupancy, can you define what that actually means before we go any further? Sure. Well, Centrelink defined dual occupancy um, as a residential housing scheme which allows a detached dwelling to be constructed on the same title document where a home already exists. Under this type of residential development, the title of the land is not altered. Okay, so here, once again, we're not talking granny flat rules. At all, are we? No. Okay. This no, is... they're separate rules. Okay. Yeah. So if we're talking about constructing a separate house on that same land, you mentioned that who pays for the cost of the construction is important here. So let's start with what happens if the client who owns the principal home also actually paid for the construction of that additional dwelling. What happens there? Yeah, well, if the client pays for the construction of the sep separate dwelling themselves, then the assessment is actually just the same as what we discussed for self-contained living areas. So in this case, um, if the separate dwelling is vacant or it's rented out to a near relative, it's considered to be part of the client's principal home, which is asset test exempt, and any rental income would not be assessable. However, if the separate dwelling is rented out to someone who is not a near relative, then it is not considered to be part of the client's principal home, and in that case, it's an assessable asset. And in addition, any rental income will be assessed under the income test. So I assume here exactly what we're talking about before. If you've got uh, if the, you've got this separate dwe separate dwelling out the back somewhere, you've they're mm -hmm. going to ask you what you think that's worth. That's right, yeah. So they're going to ask you what's the market value for that um, that dwelling so that they can assess it as an asset if it's rented to someone who's not a near relative. Um, and they're also going to ask you for information about the rental income and it will come under those same rental income rules um, that we talked about for self-contained dwellings. So, you know, it's, it's sort of the tax definition where they allow expenses and that sort okay. of thing. Okay. So the same assessment for self-contained living areas, basically. So what about if someone other than the clients, uh, the client pays for the construction costs here? So 
you kind of think, oh, who would that be? Well, I'm guessing that would generally be the client's children that might want to pay for a house to be constructed on the same title as their parents' home for them to live in. Is that right? Yeah, that's the most common example that we see. Um, you know, the child pays for a house to be constructed in, on the same land as their parents' house. Um, and, and what Centrelink say there is that if the child, you know, pays for the cost of construction and that child has a beneficial or equitable right or interest in that second dwelling, then Centrelink does not assess that second dwelling as belonging to the client. You know, they're, they're really saying, well, that, that dwelling belongs to the child who pays for the co cost of construction because they have a right or interest in that second dwelling. So, we're not going to assess it as belonging to the client and therefore it won't be an assessable asset. Okay, so I guess Centrelink there is just recognising the second dwelling really belongs to that other person, so it shouldn't be included in the, in the client's assessable assets, even if it's constructed on their land. Is that what they're saying? Yeah, that's right. That's right. But you would want to make sure that you you know, have that beneficial equitable right or interest belonging to the child so that it's not included in that client's um, assessable assets. But yeah, it is good that they recognise those situations and don't you know, included in that client's accessible assets when they didn't pay for the cost of construction. Yeah, I mean, when you think about that, that is going to be really important, that document, because under general property law, um, if I go and attach a structure to a piece of land, then that becomes part of the land and is therefore mm -hmm. owned by the person that owns the land. So I suppose what Centrelink are really saying here is we would want to see some sort of life interest or some sort of equitable interest to give the person that paid for the construction an interest in that in that property. And we're mm -hmm. not just artificially increasing the Centrelink client's accessible income and saying, oh, but, but I paid for it, so therefore it's, you know, the child paid for it, so therefore it's it's not accessible. No, you've got to have an equitable interest for that to be mm. excluded from the accessible income and assets. That's right. Yep. Wow. So these rules, you know, are complex. So just a reminder to everyone that we do have an article titled Centrelink Assessment of Renting Rooms self-contained areas or dual occupancy on the first tick site or you can simply just give us a call and we can chat to you about it and probably we'll offer to send you the article anyway so thanks for running through all that today with us kim thanks craig and thanks for listening everyone thanks for listening to the first tick podcast please note these podcasts are designed for authorized financial advisors as a source of general information all scenarios considered during the podcast were purely hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. You should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decisions and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be accurate and reliable, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited and Adventist Investments Limited, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.